Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 12 on how Abraham in great need called upon the name of the Lord and how only a person in need seeks God and how God hides himself from those who do not need him. Now, we're several weeks into the Summer Blitz. What is the Summer Blitz? It's a Jewish evangelism outreach campaign to reach lost Jewish people, over 700,000 doors of lost Jewish people around the U.S. and Canada in 15 different cities with 111 missionaries. And we're out to give lost Jewish people information on how the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is Jehovah God who came to become a man to save them and all the prophecies and fulfillments and information that will help them come to that understanding as God removes that veil and they receive him as their savior. We take that message to them, not knowing who's ready to receive him by their own free will, but we bring it to them around the nation with our missionaries. Some of them are full-time, part-time, and volunteers. We have 111 out there right now until August 3rd, full-time trying to reach lost Jewish people in these major Jewish cities. If you'd like to support Jewish evangelism and the gospel, not only just going to the Gentiles, but the Jew first, we want to encourage you to support Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries with Tom Cantor. You can do so by sending a donation of any amount to us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, and also consider being a monthly sponsor. We have evangelists that and missionaries that work full-time, and we need your support to continue them being out there and being productive with reaching lost Jewish people in malls, in colleges, in retirement homes, in places where we go to to get our missionaries in to reach lost Jewish people before it's too late. Support Jewish evangelism through this Bible teaching radio program and Israel Restoration Ministries. Again, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis 12, how Abraham in great need called on the name of the Lord. It's saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so he could get rid of his bad feelings against us and everyone. So when it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, that means that God doesn't want to hold his bad feelings against anyone. He wants everyone to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior so that he can get rid of his bad feelings against everyone. That's what forgiveness means. That's what the forgiveness of God means. So when we call on the name of the Lord as the forgiving God, we're saying that we believe that God wants to get rid once and for all of all of his bad feelings against us because of our sins. The forgiving God, call him the forgiving God, is to say he's not like us. He's different from us because that's not the way we are. We like to hold on to those bad feelings. And we like to kind of, uh, we don't want to forgive. It just feels so good to think of ways to get vengeance, you know, just thinking. But, <laughs> but that's not God. God wants to forgive. He loves to forgive. So throughout the Bible, we find these different names of God to meet our different needs. When we need to find in God hope, Why? Because we're in a hopeless situation. Then we call in his name that was told us in Romans 15, 13, the God of hope. When we need to find in God help because of our troubles or more than we can handle, then we call on God as the name is given in Psalm 46, 1 is 
God, our very present help in time of trouble, when we need to find in God shelter because we're under attack, then we call on the name of God as in Psalm 46, 1, God the refuge, or God our refuge. And when we need to find in God strength because we're weak, then we call on God as his name is in Psalm 81, 1, God our strength. These are all names of God. When we need to find in God righteousness because we're dirty inside, because we're defiled from our own sin, then we call on the name of God in Jeremiah 23, 6, the Lord our righteousness. And we remember what it says in Corinthians, Christ is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And when we need to find wisdom We need to find in God wisdom because we don't know what to do. We don't have a clue what we should do. Then we call on God's name as is told to us in Jude 1.25, the only wise God, a name for God. We need to find in God guidance for our lives because we we don't do good in running our lives. We, We run our lives on the rocks. Then we call on God's name from Psalm 23, 1, the Lord my shepherd. But you see the pattern with all this? The pattern, it goes like this. We call on the different names of the Lord, and it all starts off with when we need, then we call. When we need, then we call. When we need, then we call out to God. When we don't need, then we don't call out to God. We don't call out to God. It's like the ATM machine they installed in Brooklyn. It was called the Jewish Mother ATM Machine. (laughs) Every time a person comes up to the Jewish mother ATM machine, the recording goes off, it says, and it sounds like this. What? You never call me. You never visit me. You never write me. The only time you come is when you need money. (laughs) It's a Jewish mother ATM machine. That's funny, but anyway. So when we need, then we call. When we need, then we call out to God. We don't need, we don't call. We don't call out to God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ expressed. In Revelation 3, 17, where he said, Because thou sayest, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing. Now think about that. And he says, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then he says, I counsel thee, buy of me gold. And the tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. White raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. See? So, what is he saying here? He says, your true state is not what you think of yourself. You are not how you evaluate yourself. You are not how you esteem yourself. <laughs> he says, You are, in reality, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. But you know what the amazing thing is? They say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing. The sad tragedy of the reality and the perception of the person is that they're in such a desperate state and they have no idea at all, no clue at all. And they have no no concept of themselves as wretched, uh, wretched, who's wretched? As miserable, not miserable, got a good life. Of poor, I'm not poor, look at the car I drive. Of blind, what? Blind, I can see. 
of naked, not naked. That's, their, that's the dichotomy of this situation. It's so, so amazing. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Would you like tracks to help witness and get the gospel out to your lost Gentile or Jewish friends? Israel Restoration Ministries has a Ten Commandment track, one that we're using in our summer blitz that we're putting out at all of the non-Jewish stores. And it's also geared towards Jewish people, too, in its presentation of the gospel. So for 20 of these Ten Commandment tracks from Israel Restoration Ministries to give to your lost Gentile and Jewish friends, you can donate $20 or more, and we'll send you 20 of these wonderful Ten Commandment tracks. You can call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. These are high-quality, very detailed gospel tracks that you'll enjoy handing out to your friends, and they'll receive them because of that high quality. 800 247 And so the wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he not only gives the diagnosis, because, you know, there are several tests, blood tests, which uh, have been developed, and they're excellent for cancer, the tumor marker tests. They're very, very good. They really, really do tell you when you have these particular cancer, these tests. They're real good, but they're not popular. You know why? We call them bad news tests. There's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's, it's like, so people don't order those tests, you know, because there's no remedy tacked on to the diagnosis. So they're very good tests, but there's no, when they get a remedy, then they'll be very positive tests. Why do the test if there's nothing you can do, right? Well, the point here is that the Lord Jesus Christ not only says what's wrong, as those tests do, but he says how to fix it. And so here's what he says. He says, here's how to fix it. He says, me, 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 me. He says, I counsel you, I advise you, I want to tell you, buy of me gold tried in the fire. I'll give it to you, the God who gives gold. Great, great title for the Lord Jesus Christ, that thou mayest be rich, the God who makes rich. White raiment, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed in the shame of thy nakedness, do not appear. Great title. Thou who clothes me in your righteousness, in your pure righteousness. He says, I, it's all me. I have it. I want to give it to you. And you're such a sad state, and all you have to do is ask. And he says, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. Now, he was speaking here to the Laodiceans, of the city of Laodicea. He was speaking the language of the streets. Why? Because Laodicea was known for its eye hospitals. Laodicea was known for its garment industry. Laodicea was a rich city. So when he wants to communicate to them about spiritual things, he communicates to them about things which are on the streets of Laodicea. And he says, gold, you know gold? I got gold. You know I solve? I got I solve. You know clothes? I got clothes. See, he's wanting to communicate these things to them. So he's bringing it down to their level, the language of the streets, so that they can understand it. And then he goes a couple of verses down, he explains to them the root problem when he says, I am standing at the door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, I'm knocking and knocking and knocking. Look how I'm knocking. I'm reducing down these spiritual truths to language of the street. I'm offering you, I want to give these things to you. He's saying, I said, I'm standing at the door and knock. And then he says, the decision is yours. If any man opened the door, now I'll come in. 
Who determines who's going to open the door? The person on the inside. And that's what he says. That's your choice. That's man's choice if you will open the door. God is there, merciful, giving, but it's man's choice whether or not he invites him in. And then it says, and I will sup with them. I will sup with him. He says, I will sup with him. In other words, come in, have dinner. I'm the host. I've opened the door for the Lord. So I will sup with him. And then it says, and he with me. So then it's, <laughs> then the Lord is saying, come into the man and sit down. He takes over, see? He takes over. So in other words, when the person opens the door, it starts off, the person opens the door, and the next step is that he gives to the Lord the master position in the house. And so that's how there's that reversal. But it all comes when we need to find in God, in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. As he says, buy of me, buy of me, open the door, I will come in. So that phrase that was used there in that uh, Revelation 3 passage 17, Revelation 3.17, where he says, you say, I have need of nothing. That's a tragic statement. That's the tragic statement. Why? Because it locks out to the person all that God wants to give to them. You show me a person who is self-sufficient. Show me a person who supplies his own needs. Show me a person who's independent and finds all that he needs in himself. I have relatives like this. He says, show me a person who says, the only helping hand I need is at the end of my arm. Show me that person, and I'll show you a person who doesn't need God, who's just not interested, who doesn't call on the name, on any name of God for anything. Because he is plagued with the disease of, I have need of nothing. Now, the only person who's going to ever seek God is the person who needs him, who needs God. And God, in fact, hides himself from those who do not need him. That's what he meant when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, Simon Barjonas, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven for he lifted up his eyes and said, I thank thee, O Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Who are the wise and the prudent? The people who say, I have need of nothing. The people who are self-sufficient. The people who don't need God. And he said, you revealed them unto babes. What does it mean? It means God hides these things from those who do not need him and do not cry out to him. And that's what he told the Jewish people in Jeremiah 29, 13, when he said, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. It's not, you know, you shall seek me and find me like in a casual, you know, oh God, you made a beautiful day today, and by the way. No, no, that's it. He says, when, there's a qualifying on there. When you shall search for me with all of your heart. So when it says that Abraham called on the name of the Lord, it means Abraham had great needs. So Abraham had great needs, and he calls on the names of God. And I don't know what they were. He didn't tell us, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. But we got enough in here to figure out some of the needs. Abraham is, is, uh, is needy. Okay, so what are the needs that Abraham has? So what are the great needs that he's got? All right. And because if we know what the needs are, then we can figure out what names Abraham uh, used to call on God. Well, in verse 6, it says that Abram passed through 
the land. So he passed through the land. So here we see Abram coming into this place that God told him to remove, 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 remove from country, kindred, and family's house, father's house. And he's coming into the land. And he's looking for the right place to settle down. And what happens? We see in verse 6 that Abram comes unto a plain, a nice plain, a plain called the plain of Mori. What's, nice, what's not nice about any plain? Plains are nice. And so, but there's a problem. It says there at the end of that verse, the Canaanite was then in the land. So now you notice in verse 7 how it says that God gave him assurance. God told Abraham, it says, Abraham, he says, remember, I called you to the land. And he says, he said, I'm going to give to thy seed this land, this land. Abraham's first time God says that. For he says, I want to call you to go out to a land. And then he gets there to this plain. And God says to Abraham, ah, this is it. This is it. You got it. This, that's a very important word in that verse. This land, this land. So what does Abraham do? He builds an altar in that plain. That means God was telling him, you just arrived. You came to the right place. Unto thy seed will I give this land. So from that, it appeared that Abraham knew that he'd come to the right place. So what does he do? He settles down in the plain of Mori. A plain's a nice place to settle down in. And when he got to that plain, God says, well, you're the right place. And Abraham says, very nice, very nice. Did you ever hear how the word Van Nuys got its name? So there was a Jewish pioneer. That's funny in itself, but anyway. There was a Jewish pioneer, and he was with the, with the Indian Sea. So they got up on the San Fernando Hills, and they says to the Indian, he says, uh, he says no, the Indian says, the Jewish pioneer, he says, he says uh, what do you think of this land down here? And the Jewish pioneer looked at him and said, Van Eyes, Van Eyes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, this was Van Eyes, <laughs> this plain. Van Eyes, Abraham, what's not to like? Very nice place, settle down, graze your flocks. That's what you do. You graze them in, a, in the plain. God appears to him and confirms to him it's the right place. He uses the word this, unto thy sea, well, will I give this land? He builds an altar. It really looks like Abraham is, wow, now, good. Going to settle down. What's the next thing we find in verse 8? He removed from thence. Why are you leaving, Abraham? He removed from thence. And where does he go? To a better place? <laughs> Maybe to the seacoast? No, he goes to a mountain. A mountain. What happened to the nice place that Abraham had to settle in? What happened to the nice place for his flocks? What about the confirmation that God gave to Abraham that he was in the right place when he said, unto thy seed will I give this land? What about that nice altar that Abraham had you know, had just got finished building. Why is Abraham on the move when it says in Genesis 12, 8, and he removed from thence unto a mountain. A mountain. That's not good. A plain is much better than a mountain. It's better to graze flocks on a plain than on a mountain. I found that out firsthand the hard way in 1978 when John Dan, the box boy, at the only grocery store in Lakeside, he calls me up. He says, I got the perfect place for you to raise goats. And I'm going to sell you my house and my five goats, four goats, because we're going back to Michigan. Okay. So we bought John Dan's house, and it was on Mount El Capitan there in Lakeside, on the mountainside. And for 10 years, we struggled to raise 300 goats on a mountainside. And I learned the hard way, mountainside is not a good place to raise goats. Goats like it, but it's not good for people. So in 1988, we moved all our goats from El Capitap Mountain, from Lakeside and Lakeside, to the plain in, in Ramona. And the only reason I let John Dan sell me his house in El Capitan to raise goats was because 
I was raised in L.A., and so I didn't, what did I know about raising goats? And so I didn't know the plains were better than the mountains. But anyway, Abraham was not dumb like me. And so when it came to raising goats, and Abraham wasn't raised in Los Angeles. So he knew the plain in Moray was better for grazing flocks than the mountain east of Bethel. So why did Abraham move from the plain of Moray to the mountain east of Bethel? It's the last sentence again in verse 6. The Canaanite was then in the land. So what we see from verses 6 through 8 is a picture of Abraham on the move. He's going through the land, he's settling in this plain, and then he's being uprooted, and then he's pitching his tent on a mountain. And because Why? Because the Canaanite was then in the land, and evidently the Canaanite didn't run out to Abraham and say, welcome, we hear God's going to give you our land. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> in fact, the Canaanite probably ran Abraham off that plain, and that's why he ends up on a mountain. And so knowing that, what names would Abraham then be calling on when he's on the mountain? When the Canaanite threatened Abraham, Abraham would call on the name of God from Psalm 59, 17, God my defense. When the Canaanite cast out Abraham off of the place where he had settled and built the altar and the sheep, the flocks liked it, Abraham would then call on the name of the Lord as in Isaiah 56, 8, the Lord, the gatherer of the outcasts. When the Canaanite was unfriendly to Abraham, Abraham would call on the name of the Lord from Isaiah 41, 8, God, Abraham's friend. And when the Canaanite made life so miserable for Abraham, Abraham would call on the name of the Lord as in Ezekiel eleven sixteen, the Lord, the little sanctuary. That's what it meant by the last statement in verse 8 when it says Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. And so here we see Abraham. He doesn't stay on that mountain, and I don't blame him for moving on. We shouldn't have stayed there either. But anyway, when it says this in verse 9, Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. And notice in verse 10, it's now it's not the Canaanite that's pushing Abraham. Now it's a famine, not just any famine, a grievous famine. And then we're going to find The next thing that Abraham is faced with is his own fear. He's afraid. He's going to be afraid of being killed because his wife's so beautiful. And that drives Abraham. Poor Abraham. I mean, we could just feel the frustration in this man as he felt he's just being pushed along by the Canaanite, the famine, and now the Egyptian. And he can't find a place to settle. He just can't. He keeps moving. And Abraham's wandering, like it says in Hebrews 11, 38, of whom the world was not worthy They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Till the day of his death, Abraham said in Hebrews 11, 13, these all, including Abraham, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so why did God allow all these terrible things to happen to Abraham? Because God wanted to teach Abraham. Why does God allow all these terrible things to happen to us? Why did God allow me to cut my finger yesterday? And I'll have a scar there because I'll look at that scar and I'll say, you should call on the name of the God of peace, not the God of the knife with the green onion. Anyway, so um, why does he allow all these things to happen? Because God wants wanted to teach Abraham and wants to teach us his names. And that just doesn't mean knowledge of what the list of the names are, but names by experience. 
We'll never know the true meaning of God's names until we've felt the need, called on him for that name, seen him answer that, and then we'll walk away and we'll know him that way and we'll thank him for being that way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God of Abraham and and leading him into the higher treasure of knowing you by your names. Help us, Lord, to be quick to learn and to call on your name when we have need. In Jesus' name, amen. Another great day of studying the Bible and getting closer in our friendship with God here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you'd like more information on Tom Cantor, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or look for Israel Restoration on YouTube for more videos and teaching from Tom Cantor, as well as at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or go to israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. We've mentioned that Tom Cantor is the founder of this Jewish evangelism outreach ministry, and as the founder, he has helped to develop materials that we give out to Jewish people. Over 5 million pieces of material have gone out around the world, from Israel to South America to Canada and the U.S. and all over where Jewish people are that are lost and need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Jewish Savior and Messiah. And Jewish people have been held in Satan's bounds long enough, and these death trains that are taking these Jewish people to an eternal holocaust have to be stopped. There has to be a group of believers that will stand up and say no, never again in Israel Restoration Ministries, and Tom Cantor is doing that through an organized mass effort. In the summer blitz going on right now, we need your prayers, but we also need your support. 800-247-3051. We have a free gift for a donation of $40 or more as well. 800-247-3051.